Hey everybody, how's it going? Happy Sunday. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity for us to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as fellow believers, as your sons and daughters, and as your church. Worship and be guided by you in wisdom and understanding. Give us your strength and your and your heart to see. Thank you for all we have. Amen.
Amen. Father, we thank you that you are holy. God, we thank you that that holiness is only met with your love. That they're both unsurpassable. And Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, which reveals to us your truth. God, I pray that as Floyd speaks to us this morning from Exodus, that we would just gain a revelation of your character and your grace and your holiness, God. We thank you for what you have set before us, for what you want to speak to our hearts. Amen. If you are a first-time visitor, we have communication cards in your bulletin. We'd love for you to fill out just to keep you updated with the information. Or going as a church, events and all that coming up. Um, we have a couple things going on today. Uh, CR is doing a fundraiser. They're selling breakfast burritos. So if you didn't eat breakfast today, we got you covered. Definitely pick one up in the lobby uh, before you head out the door. They're only five bucks. Uh, McLaren trip for all you men out there with snow machines. You want to bring your boys out to the true Alaska. Uh, April 1st to the 3rd, uh, adults is 250, 125 for kids, 12 and under. Um, I'm sure there's information. Norm, do you guys have a table out there this morning for that? Okay, there is a table out there for the McLaren trip as well that you can talk to some guys at. If you're new to the church, you're a guy, you're wanting to get plugged in with some other men uh, who believe in the Lord and be strengthened by them, this would be a great opportunity for you to come and just uh, enjoy a weekend out in the snow and the sun and the snow machine. So, um, also, this Friday night, we're going to be doing a potluck uh, for Good Friday, but we're also going to be doing a worship service. And I was really praying about it last week. And on Friday, I, I went and I talked to Dave Chester. Um, said, man, I really think we should do something different on Friday. So we're actually going to be doing sort of a liturgy on Friday night where we're going to be getting into the Word and looking at the seven last statements Jesus said before his death. And I was weeping a whole day on Friday when I was reading through the Gospels and looking at songs to sing. I think it's going to be a powerful night. If you are a core of the church, you want to get filled up before Easter uh, please come on Friday night. It's going to be a powerful time for us as a body just to worship together and just reflect on what our King has done in, in giving us His life and His blood for our life. Um, so that's going to be Friday night. Hopefully we get done on time, but you never know what happens. Uh, 6 o'clock is a potluck, and then uh, we'll do worship uh, from 7 to 8, worship and scriptures. So um, if you can sign up, also they're looking for people to help park cars for the Easter service. There's a sign-up sheet in the lobby. You always get a ton of visitors on Easter, so if you can help do that, we'd love for you to help. So at this time, we're going to dismiss the kids to Kids Church. Um, I'm going to pray for them really quick. Father, we thank you for our children. Lord, we thank you the heart that we see in the word that you have for them. Lord, the example that they, that they lead for all of us, that we're all called to have a faith like a child. Lord, we thank you for each one of the teachers that pour out their, their hearts and their strength to speak truth into our kids. I just pray for them to uh, be strengthened as they pour out to our children. 
Lord, and for the gospel to be proclaimed in its truth this morning in those classrooms. Uh, we just give you them this morning. We pray that you just glorify their lives and draw them to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have kids, you want to bring your kids church at this time, uh, you're more than welcome to. And if you don't, we're just going to stand and continue to worship.
appreciate that. Thank you. Morning, church. God bless you mightily. Um, are you ready to take up the offering? I think we are. Okay. <laughs> Lord, thank you, God, for everything that you have provided and given to us in Christ. God, the heavens, your storehouses are full of plenty. And Lord, we need to come into the knowledge of that everything that pertains to life and godliness has been provided for us in Christ. Lord, we need to have an abundance mindset. And Lord, as we give our offering this morning, I pray that God, that will be the mindset that we uh, take from this place today. And that, Lord, you will be glorified in all that we do. We present our bodies, even as your word says, as living sacrifices today. And all that we are, all that we think, all that we have, God, is yours. And we bless you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Are you ready to have a re radical renewal of your minds this morning? I think that's what I want to, I've come in here, I want to have my mind renewed by his word and by his spirit. And I pray in the name of Jesus for you this morning that God will grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus and all that he has achieved for us in his cross, in his burial, in his resurrection, in his ascension, and in his being seated at the right hand of the Father. One of the things that I have really determined in my life is to be a child. Like, I'm not up here because I know it all, for sure. <laughs> I'm here to learn just as much as you are. Jesus said, unless you become as a little child, you shall in no way enter the kingdom of God. And that's, I mean, I think that's ongoing. We need to realize there is so much more to learn than that which we know right now. Paul said that he, what, what he received, he received as a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I think as uh, uh, Eric was uh, speaking earlier and praying, you know, we can't, we can't get that on our own. Our own three marvels cannot understand this book. And so we need the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to reveal it to us. Um... And so we're in this series called The Promised Plan. I love that title. I didn't really catch on to it at the beginning, but the more I look at it, the more I love it. It just so ties in with everything in the Word of God. This is a gigantic and awesome promise of God that is contained in these pages. And so we, by His Spirit, come to understand the fullness of the promise of God that is in Christ. And so uh, Eric um, encouraged me to review a little bit, to start from the beginning and, and go forward. So just briefly, we started in Genesis, of course, and we started at the, at the creation and then the fall of man, and there's some significant aspects to the fall. Primarily, uh, it is that in uh, Romans 5.12, it says that through one man, that man's name was Adam. Through one man, sin entered the world. I don't know if you've noticed, but this world's kind of screwed up. This thing is a mess. 
And it's not with all of our intelligence, with all of our years of, of experience and history and, and the knowledge that we have of politics and science and, and, and mathematics and, and uh, philosophy and psychology and everything else, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And so it says, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. We were born dead. Every person, when you were born, you were born dead in trespasses and sins. You didn't have to learn how to sin. Nobody taught you how to sin. Your parents didn't encourage you to sin. You just did it because that the, that's the nature that we're born with. We're not in union with Christ when we're born. But hopefully in a, in a very short period of time, we can bring our children into that relationship. When it says death, I think, when it says that sin came into the world and death through sin, I always think sin, sickness, demons, death, and curse, just to sum it up. And how did that happen? It, the, there was a temptation that if you eat of this tree, you can become like God. And, and I, I saw something very interesting recently. It was a definition of the word humanism. And, it, and humanism is the belief in the advancement of humanity by its own efforts. And that's what we have in the world. If you do not have Christ, you only have one alternative. And it's humanism. And humanism was birthed in the fall of man. Ephesians 2.1 says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Before you came to Christ, you're dead. I mean, this is kind of like advanced zombies out there. Okay? And, and so, then there was a promise right away. Right at the time of the fall, God spoke to the serpent and he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, which is a death blow, and you, the serpent, shall bruise him on the heel. We're talking about Jesus. It was a, it was a, a, a little statement right there at the fall that God says, I'm going to turn this around. And so we're going to go from Adam to, to Abraham to Moses to Jesus this morning in this message. Some of the the greatest men of the Bible, the most influential. And there's a really a nice encapsulated, a nice summary of the entire experience of the Old Testament in Nehemiah chapter 9. And I'm going to read some excerpts from that chapter. Beginning in verse 7, it's talking about Abraham. It says, you are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out from Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. And it says, You found his heart faithful before you and you made a covenant with him to give him the land. There was a piece of territory that God promised that would be a possession of Abraham <coughs> and his descendants and there were these there were these nations that were living in that land at the time 
And, and Abraham was promised that he would uh, overcome them and that, and that God said, I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants, this, this piece of property. And in the New Testament, it talks about this. It's not just that little piece of, uh, of, of terrestrial acreage there in the Middle East because it says in Romans 4 that the promise to Abraham that he would be heir of the world, that, that God promised him the whole world's going to be yours. And that means it belongs to Christ. And since we are joint heirs with Christ, this world belongs to us. It's not going to be, it doesn't belong to Islam. It's not going to belong to ISIS. No matter what they think, it belongs to Christ. And, and, and Abraham was promised that he would be heir of the world, and we are in, we are the, his sons and daughters. We are the sons and daughters of, of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So it's pretty awesome. But he said one of the, one of the distinctions was that this promise that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, for therein is revealed the righteousness of God. So we're digging into kind of like the core elements of the gospel this morning. And so what happened was that Abraham lived in this land, and then he had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and so this promise was passed down to Jacob, and then Jacob had a number of sons in which, and then, and then the, there came out of his sons the 12 tribes of Israel, which is Jacob's name, it was changed to Israel, and that composed ultimately the nation of Israel. So time passed, and there were certain circumstances in which the nation of Israel went into the land of Egypt because there was a famine. And they were there 430 years. And the majority of that time, the Egyptians had made them their slaves. So they were in slavery in Egypt. And by the way, just in passing, Egypt is a type of the world. Okay? And, and so they were made slaves in Egypt. And it says here in verse 9 of Nehemiah uh, chapter 9, it says, You saw the afflictions of our fathers in Egypt. Then you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh. And we've, we're probably, almost everybody in here has heard that. I mean, we've been preaching on it, and, and you saw the movie, The Ten Commandments, and so forth. So we understand that. And, and so then Brian took us through the Passover. And through the Passover... Israel was delivered out of Egypt. And then it says, Then you came to Mount Sinai. They went out of Egypt, they went into the wilderness to the, to the east, and they came into this wilderness, and there was a mountain in this wilderness called Mount Sinai. And this mountain, it, it typifies the law because that's where Moses got this gigantic revelation 
from God. They, he got this revelation of God's law. And it says right here um, that you came down on, the mount, on mount Sinai. God came down and met the people on the mountain, Mount Sinai. And, and Moses went up the mountain and received this download from God. And it says that you spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws and good statutes and commandments. And all these things came through Moses, okay? There were 613 laws. And the people's immediate response was everything that the Lord has commanded, we will do. They said it at least three times that I noticed in the scriptures there. And then it says, and you told them to enter in order to possess the land which you swore to them. Okay? Now, here's how this thing worked. Um, it's kind of interesting how um, this old covenant operated. And, and it's all found, what you need to do is read Deuteronomy 28. It will tell you this whole story, which I am going to briefly kind of uh, uh, view, uh, uh, give you a summary right now. But basically it was this. If you will come under my government, if you will come under my rule, then I will give you this land and you will have productivity and dominion in the land. Okay? And that's basically the, de the definition of, of a nation, is that every nation has to have two things. They have to have government and land. Is anybody out there not hearing a whole lot of uh, people breathing or something? Um, well, there we go. Okay. I just need to know that I'm making sense here. All right, listen. Deuteronomy 28, listen to this. It, now, if you will, if, if, excuse me. Now, it shall be if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all of his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. And, and these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord, all right? And he says, you'll be blessed in the city, you'll be blessed in the country, the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground will be blessed, and your herd, your flocks. When you come in, you'll be blessed. When you go out, you'll be blessed. If your enemies rise up against you one way, you will scatter them seven ways. You're going to have total dominion over your enemies. It says, the Lord will command the blessing uh, upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, he will bless you in the land which the Lord God gives you. So all the peoples of the earth will, all the peoples of the earth that, that see you, that you are called by the name of the Lord, they will be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body and of your cattle and the produce of, your, of the ground in the land which he swore to your fathers to give you. And the Lord will open to you the, his good treasure, the heavens, to reign on your land in its season and bless all the work of your hand and you shall lend to many nations and not borrow. You will be the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. If... You listen to the commandments of the Lord your God as I charge you today to observe them. Now, 
there are, just to let you know, there's about 14 verses right there, and it's, that's the blessing. But the curse is over 50 verses, and, and it says here, if you do not obey and you do not observe to do all the commandments and statues, that these curses will come upon you. Confusion and rebuke in all that you undertake to do. And consumption and fever and inflammation and fiery heat will, will come upon you with blight and mildew. If, you do, if you're not careful to observe all the words of the law which are written in the book to fear and honor the awesome name of the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, severe and lasting plagues, miserable and chronic diseases. The rain of your land will be powder and dust, and, and God will smite you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and with scab and itch from which you cannot be healed. Also, every sickness and every disease and every plague not written in the book of the law, the Lord will bring upon you until you're destroyed. I mean, this goes on and on. I will, the Lord will smite you with madness. That's not March madness. And with blindness and bewilderment of heart, you shall be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. You'll betroth a wife and another will take her. You'll, you'll, you'll bring out much seed to the field. You'll gather little, for the locusts will consume it. You'll plant vineyards, but you won't drink the wine or gather the grapes because the worm will devour them. You'll plant olive trees throughout your territory, but you will not anoint yourself with oil, for the olives will fall off. A nation, I'll bring a nation against you a fierce, with fierce countenance, and they shall eat the offspring of your herd and the produce of your ground until you are destroyed. And also leave you no grain, no wine, no oil, the increase of your herd and of your flock that, and until you, they have caused you to perish. And, and listen, and it gets so horrendous. It says this nation will besiege you until you are eating your offspring, until you are actually eating your sons and daughters. And you will find no rest, and there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But there the Lord will give you trembling heart and failing eyes and despair of soul. And then it continues in Nehemiah 9.24. And, and we're going to see in these verses that I'm going to read to you. Now, what we have, God has set it up. If you obey, these blessings will be upon you. If you don't obey, this curse will be upon you. All right? They said, oh, we're going to do it. We're going to obey the Lord. And they had every incentive. Did they not? And so, and so, but, so let's see how that worked out. Let's, uh, you know, just do a Dr. Thiel here. How's that working for you? Okay. So it says, So their sons entered and possessed the land, and you subdued before the inhabitants of the land. They captured fortified cities and a fertile land. They took possession of houses full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and reveled in your great goodness. But they became disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who had admonished them that they might return to you and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, 
You delivered them into the hand of their oppressors who oppressed them. But when they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven, and according to your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. Well, that's good. But as soon as they had rest, they did evil again. Therefore, you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried to you again, you heard from heaven, and many times, many times, you rescued them according to your compassion and admonished them in order to turn them back to the law, to your law. Yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he will live. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not listen. Now, what I just read to you covers all the time from Moses to Jesus, 1,500 years, around and around this cycle, okay? And, and in your notes, it, there's a little graphic there, and it shows you the cycle that I'm referring to. It's law, flesh, sin, death. They, they started out under the commandment, they were prospering, they were healthy, they were productive, they had dominion over their enemies. Eventually, it, the, because the whole covenant, well, let me make this point. The entire old covenant was given to people, you know, let's think about this. It was given to people who didn't have the spirit of God in them. They were dead in trespasses and sins. Therefore, it was a demand upon what they said, you know, we're going to obey all the commandments. We're going to keep your law. And it was a demand upon their flesh, upon their humanity. And it was a direct, uh, 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 how should I say this? It was, a, it was directly connected to that element of humanism by which they thought they would advance by their own efforts. Does that make sense? What, what power source did they have to keep the commandments? It was their flesh. Which, once the flesh is stirred, it results in sin. It doesn't bring righteousness. It, it only has the capability of sin. So the law stirs the flesh the flesh then produces sin, and sin produces death. Sin, sickness, demons, death, curse, poverty, plagues, all kinds of nasty things, oppression, until then they turn back to the law. They turn back to the law, and, and they, they struggle forward, and they, they're able to do it somewhat for, to a certain degree for a certain amount of time, and then we go right through the whole cycle all over again. It's kind of like a, a do-it-yourself religion. That's what it was. And so what, and, and this is a little bit of review, but you know what? We need to keep hearing the gospel. We can never hear it enough, all right? But what was the purpose? Why would God give a covenant to a people when I am sure he understood this isn't going to work, but they need to have it for a reason. They need to, This covenant needs to be introduced into the earth. Adam fell, and, and it's, been a, 
It's been a horrible condition of the world ever since then. And so I need to insert this covenant into the world. It says in Romans, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those under law, so that every mouth may be may be stopped. Every mouth may be closed, closed, and all the world, all the world, may become accountable to God. And accountable in this, the definition is basically you've gone to court and you've lost. It's a judgment. It's a and you are found guilty because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin and that's one of the great purposes of the law is to define what is good and what is evil because who's to say I mean this is what we have going on in our country right now well who's to say Well, it's just a popular opinion. That's who says. It's a democracy. We just make up what's right and wrong as we go. And and now as we we journey further down that road, we find that, you know, more and more there's a conflict between the culture and this, what's revealed in this word. But this is a revelation from God. And and the purpose of it was to teach us. It was a schoolmaster. It was a tutor to prepare us for something better. And the first thing that it did was it brought exposure. That you, when you look at God's law, when you look at those Ten Commandments, you look at them and you know that you have broken those laws. You have broken those ordinances. You have broken those statutes. You have sinned according to God's definition of sin. And the second thing, and this is why it took 1,500 years was to provide an opportunity for man in, the, in, in, this, in this, this model that was given to us of Israel, which we were dubbed, done exactly the same thing. This, in this, in this uh, trial, kind of this, this trial period of the law, it gave them 1,500 years to see if they could ever keep the commandments of God. And, and so what they did, they went through this process of exhaustion. They exhausted their human resources. Their flesh was exhausted in an effort to keep the commandments. And what it revealed was this disparity, this distinction, this difference between man and God, where man is and where God is. And if you needed any further Uh, clarity on that just read the Sermon on the Mount which is kind of like in certain respects it's like the law on steroids because Jesus comes in and says oh yeah do not commit adultery but if you lust in your heart you're committing adultery wow something I thought was kind of interesting this morning I, I was thinking about, you know, when people come into my office and they want to talk to me about the, the fact that they're on the verge of divorce, okay? And I, there's one thing that I always do when people come in with, it doesn't even matter what problem it is. I want to talk about your spiritual life. How's it going with Jesus? Because 
the interesting thing is that divorce is a result of coming under the law. And one of the things about it is, you know, when, when people are at odds like that, they want to talk about each other's behavior. And I want to talk about the fact that one or both of them is no longer in a deep, intimate relationship with God. Because when you're in a deep, intimate relationship with God, you produce fruit that is delicious to everybody. And there's no need for divorce, man. It's awesome. It's wonderful. And this is what we're getting at here. So, it's a, the, the law was a revelation of the disparity and the condition of the heart of man. And so we're continuing our notes here. It says, New Covenant Righteousness. But now, it says in Romans, uh, I believe it's 321. But now, apart from the law, apart from this humanistic self-effort to advance, to obey, to keep, to, to walk righteously, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that, right? It's, it's interesting. We got over, what, 7 billion people on the planet? There's none righteous. No, not one. No, it's not out there. But it says in verse 24, being unjustified as a gift by his grace, by his unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor, you have been given this gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. You have been given the gift of righteousness through the redemption that is in Jesus. In other words, through the achievement, the work, the blood, the offering of his body on the cross the debt of sin, the debt that the law required, the penalty of death has been paid on our behalf, and therefore the righteousness of God can be transferred to us as we believe on Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he was he was beaten unmercifully. He was whipped. He was stripped. He was crowned with a crown of thorns, which, which was a picture of the, of the curse that Adam brought upon the earth. And then he was nailed to that cross until he died and made payment for us. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, Jesus has become our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And, and if there's anybody in here who doesn't know the Lord, listen to this verse. I love this. This is, our, this is our story. And you, 
who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And that is, that is not, that has nothing to do with your human efforts to present yourself and to obey God or to in some way make up for your sins or achieve some level of righteousness by climbing the ladder of self-effort to a point like every other religion in the world to a point where God and you can be reconciled and have relationship. It's by faith in the achievement of Christ. He was a lamb without spot or blemish or any such thing. And he paid the penalty of the broken law in our, in our stead. And he became sin. And it says he became a curse that the blessing of Abraham might be, might be given to us that we could receive the promise of the Spirit. And it was all through faith now you know you'd think that that in Christianity right then and there everything would be resolved okay but we are so wired in our minds toward performance that that a Christian can actually slip back and then begin to perform to establish the relationship with God all over again and and Paul, had not, there are entire books of the New Testament that are addressing this issue, particularly the book of Galatians. And, and so there is not to be any, any going back under the law. We are to stay in the, this grace of God, understanding that it is by his righteousness we have this relationship with God. And that we are, when, when, you, when you begin to sense condemnation, you are looking at yourself, you're looking at your failures, and I, I want to get, I want to make something very clear. It doesn't mean performance doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want, okay? That's not what we're talking about. I just want to make, we, we want to start out on the right foot. And the first thing you have to understand is that by Jesus Christ, you are the righteousness of God, and only by him. Okay? And Paul warns us. He says in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If righteousness is established by yourself, in other words, it's self-righteousness, established by through your own sufficiency through your own human flesh that you are in some level of performance then you are nullifying the grace of God so we have to get this totally separated and clear in our minds he says if if that is the case if you're looking at your behavior and your works and your performance to get right standing with God, then you have been severed from Christ 
It says, you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Now that's strong language. I, I had uh, two boys. And our, we, we started our boys in homeschool. And there was a certain point where we then um, took them and we um, signed them up for Christian schools, okay? And so they were, for a number of years, they were in three different Christian schools in Fairbanks here. And uh, as I was watching the whole process of all these kids going through these Christian schools, I became seriously concerned. Because what I was observing was that once the kids graduated from 12th grade and went from, from, and got out of the Christian schools, oh my God, it was an absolute train wreck. It was one after another after another. They went totally into the flesh. They were sleeping around, fornicating, drugs, alcohol, partying all night long. I mean, it was... It was like, what? What is wrong with this picture? And they got all these years, Bible, 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 just completely, you know, trying to get all of these principles and, 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 and understand the scriptures. And, and it was just, they were filled with the Bible. And then it would blow up in the flesh. Until I began to realize that what was really happening in the Christian schools was they were teaching good versus evil. And they were emphasizing behavior, 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 and obedience. And, and what are the laws, the principles, the statutes? Don't do this and do that. And, and they, they were basically indoctrinating these kids with the law. And not with a personal, intimate, spirit-filled, anointed presence of God relationship with Jesus. And that's the difference. And it was like, I was like, oh my God, look at this. This is not working. And I took my kids out of Christian schools. I put them in public school. And my, my younger son, he started, uh, in the, um, he started in junior high. And he flew beautifully all through junior high, high school. Never a problem played soccer, popular guy, just beautiful. Loved God through the whole time. My older son, he went into a little, what I call religious burn-off. And he got out there in the world for a while, and he was, I remember him calling me from Seattle one time. He said, oh, Dad, I got a car, and I got an apartment, and I can smoke dope anytime I want. I said, okay, you're free now, buddy. So let's look at that little diagram real quick, and we'll kind of wrap this up. Uh, first of all, it, it, the, you can see law, flesh, sin, death, okay? This is being under the law. This is being, this is like trying to obey God, keep his commandments, you know, don't do bad stuff, do the good stuff. But somehow you're relying upon your own effort, your own sufficiency, and it becomes like a 
performance-based religion. And because of that, the flesh is your source. It's, it's your sufficiency. It's the, it's the power by which you are trying to live the Christian life. And I want to point out something really interesting about this whole process. It says, there's three verses I'm going to give you. The first one is Romans 5.20, and it says, The law came in that transgression might increase. (laughs) Wow! If you, you know, they want to put up those Ten Commandment monuments, you put them up all over the place, you're going to increase sin. Isn't that like, what? You would think the law would increase righteousness. It tells you what's right and wrong. So that's, you know, that's what you need to know. Yeah, but the fact is, as lo- when you're, if you're not born of God's spirit, it's going to create in you law, flesh, sin, death. You're in. And then the second verse is Romans 7, 5. It says, it talks about the sinful passions that were aroused by the law. In other words, the law reaches inside of us and it stirs the passions to do the opposite of what the law says. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 15, 56 says, the strength, the strength, the power of sin is the law. That's like, wow, this should, this should be moving your brain around inside your skull with the new neural pathways that are being created right now. <laughs> So what happens is law, flesh, sin, sin increases, ultimately producing death. Bondage, oppression, defeat, oh, your mind is so messed up. But then we have the alternative, which is faith. We start out with faith. And I want to point out, when you start with faith in Christ, in the cross, boom, you have right standing with God. You are cleansed. God cleanses the vessel by the blood. He cleanses even our conscience by the blood of Jesus. And because the vessel is now clean, he can put in his Holy Spirit. So we go from faith, and we have our right standing, and we have righteousness as a gift from God. We are the righteousness of God. And then we receive the Spirit. And by the Spirit, we have intimacy and union with Jesus. Union. The new covenant is all about the union. It's about Christ in you, the hope of glory, the intimacy, and the fact that you are in this union. It it means that now you can bear fruit for God. And what it produces is righteousness. And in this sense, it's a righteous walk. It means that you have the capability by the Spirit of keeping God's commandments. But you have to rely upon the Spirit. It says if you walk in the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you're led by Him. If you abide in me, He said, if you abide in me. And my word abides in you. You understand this grace of God. You understand the power of the Spirit and what it can produce and that you can rest in Him. You will bear much fruit. So, and and then Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, this is a huge verse, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. Not that we are adequate in ourselves as to consider anything as coming from ourselves, 
but God. Our adequacy is from God, who has made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter. Here's what I'm saying. You, you, it's, this is like a combination on a master lock, okay? You've got to start out with faith and realize you're the righteousness of God. That's, all, it's, that's settled. It's done. It's finished on the cross. Then the spirit. Then the walk of righteousness. The holiness of God can, can produce the life that he demands from you. And then life. And, and life is this inheritance that we have in Christ. It's, it's land. It's the kingdom of God. It's a place of productivity and dominion over all of our enemies. It's just the same picture that was presented in the Old Testament of this territory there in the Middle East. But now the kingdom of God is within you. And we're, I'm so excited because I'm going to be preaching on Joshua. And I really want to just get a down on from God that I can just encourage the snot out of you guys. And you guys will go running out here like massive champions that God has made you to be. So, but that's, that's two weeks from now. But God wants to bless you. And he wants you to have dominion over sin, sickness, demons, death, and curse. Yes. And listen to this. I was thinking about this. I, I, got, I wrote this down this morning. Listen to this verse. It's so delicious. Set, 1 John 2, 5. Whoever, listen to how this is put together. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's so true. It's absolute truth. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Oh. That love. See, what I'm saying is this. You have to start out with faith. Then you move into that union. Don't, don't try it any other way. If you reverse, if you go to the commandments first and you think, okay, this is what I got to do. This is what I don't need to do. You go there first. Not going to work. You're going to be over here in law, flesh, sin, death. But if you start out in the righteousness of God, you move into that union, that place of God, your presence, your spirit is the only hope, the only sufficiency, the only thing that I have, and it's enough. And God, you're going to live your life through me, and it's going to be awesome because you're going to make me productive, you're going to give me dominion, you're going to cause me to have inheritance that blows my mind. And it's all by faith and grace and, and, the, and, the, and the spirit of God. And so finally, let's finish up very quickly. There are these two great warnings in Scripture. The one is against unrighteousness, and the other is against what we're talking about today, self-righteousness, where we have confidence in the flesh. And so there are these, 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 these areas of, there, there are these characteristics that we will know. I'm, I'm going to read to you what, how you will know if you're under the law, Okay. This is what you're going to experience. Enmity. There's going to be hostility in your life. You're going to be irritated, vexed, you know, bothered by people. You're going to have enmity, strife, division, jealousy, envy. The Bible says that the Pharisees crucified Jesus out of envy. 
You're going to have comparison, competition, pride, superiority, control, narcissism is going to take over your life, which is the love of the praise of men more than the praise of God. Selfish ambition, disdain and contempt for others, bitterness, hospitality, uh, hypocrisy, self-righteousness, unforgiveness, dryness, and ultimately all of the works of the flesh are going to begin to operate in your life. Now, on the other hand, the law will also produce this category. Uh, You will begin to experience condemnation, a feeling of inadequacy, hopeless, a sense of unworthiness, insecurity, inferiority, fear, failure, You'll you'll be defeated. There'll be guilt, shame, an orphan heart where you don't feel accepted. A striving on this treadmill, trying to work your way out of it. Rejected and abandoned by God. If if you are in this mix, these are the fruits of, of, of what the law produces within us. So if you are experiencing these types of things, know that there's an element of the law that's working in your life. And there's elements, I mean, I'm not free from all this just because I'm reading it to you. I mean, it's like, yeah, we're progressing in our walk with God. We're, we're growing in our knowledge of the grace of God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And so then the characteristics of when you're walking in the faith, spirit, righteousness, life, humility, sense of freedom, Rest, acceptance, love, joy, passion, zeal, destiny, purpose, security, confidence in him, sense of, a sense of blessing, courage, dominion, and productivity, and all the fruit of the Spirit. It is all, it, only through grace, through the power of God, can we attain a righteous walk. And as we grow in the knowledge of grace in our Lord Jesus Christ, we will walk in far more holiness than the law could ever produce in us. And finally, uh, worship team, you can come up. I just want to mention, because I did title this Throw the Woman Out, and and, uh, so I probably should explain that. that Abraham had two sons, one from Hagar and one from Sarah. They represent two covenants. Hagar represents the law, where the children are born into slavery, and, and, and Sarah represents the new covenant of grace, where the, the children are born free and born by the Spirit. And so what, what, the, what Galatians chapter 4 is talking about is throw out the woman, throw out the law, and, and, and that which is born of the flesh, because that which is born of the flesh will never inherit. There is no inheritance for that which is born of the flesh under the law. So let's walk in the faith, in the righteousness, in the spirit, and, and ultimately we will receive what God has provided for us. All the things that God has set apart and achieved for us through the cross, we will receive it. In Jesus' name, bless you. Amen.